This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Father's Day is coming soon, and so we'd like to reflect a bit on fly fishing and fathers. Neither one of our dads were fly fishers, but both loved to hunt and fish, and really, they both got us started on the road that led to our love of fly fishing. So we're going to talk about our dads today. We're going to talk about our experience as fathers, and this is just a tribute to fathers everywhere, especially those who are teaching their kids outdoor skills and even fly fishing skills. So Dave, let's start this way. Why don't you tell our listeners about your dad and the kind of outdoorsman he was? During the early years of my life, my father uh, was a farmer, a rancher in South Dakota. So I've always known the idea of having land and being Mm. able to hunt on our land. And, And so it just became part of our life. Uh, my dad left farming and ranching when I was six and uh, went into the ministry uh, for the rest of his life, but he still always owned the land and often would have cattle that they would run through the years and rented out the land, even to this day. The, yeah. All the land is now in a trust. But what, what that did was it put me in close proximity to hunting, and it was a great gift. And the one thing, if you're a landowner, you know that if you're a landowner, you also have access to other people's land because there's this reciprocity that happens. Right. So I was born into that. And so it was just a great gift in terms of the outdoors to be that close to land and have that kind of mm-hmm. access to land. So my dad through the years, though, was very much, you know, he had his day job, and which was actually his calling, mm-hmm. which was ministry. And then he hunted and fished on the side. Yeah. So it was, he never got those things upside down. It was, right. it was never, let's do the job so that I can hunt and fly fish. Mm-hmm. And that has actually been a great model for me. I love yeah. fly fishing. I probably do more outdoor sports than he did through the years. Mm-hmm. But he modeled for me what I think has been really a good uh, archetype for this. I have this passion for my work. And then I also have passion for fly fishing and yeah. hunting on the side. So I would say that was his single biggest contribution to yeah, my and that's life. interesting so you say it's not like he did one so he could do the other like i'll do my day job so i but the two had this kind of complementary relationship they almost uh, uh would that be fair to say absolutely yeah. i would say though the main thing was the main thing which was his work yeah. and his calling mm-hmm. and the other was secondary right. so it was I, I guess the word is symbiotic yeah. at some point but there was always you always know, knew what was number one, which yeah. was his work. That's fascinating. And I think it created a great model for us. I know, yeah. obviously, many of us would say, man, I just love to fly fish all the time and you know work huh. as little as I can. Yeah. I probably wouldn't want to do that, but that has yeah. to do with what was modeled for me. Sure. How about you? Well, first and foremost, my dad was, uh, uh, he was a white-tailed deer hunter, uh, northern Pennsylvania, and he was really good at that. In fact, i got to tell you this story. Uh, in, in 1963, he was hunting uh, near Smithmore, Pennsylvania, up in McKean County uh, on the, the day that President Kennedy was assassinated. And uh, the place that he went, I, it was, I was like, uh, I wasn't quite two years old then, but uh, he told me this story because we hunted there later when I was in high school. But he was going into this section of land and there was, uh, they had to walk in in a lane to get back into 
where they had permission to hunt. And then there was some public land. And anyway, as they walked in this lane, there was a guy who owned property right next to it. I guess he was just a mean guy. And he, he was out there that morning and says, I just want to let you guys know, don't you dare set foot on my land or I'll shoot you. And okay. oh my. So when, when my dad came out that night, uh, with my grandfather and with one of my uncles, here's this guy waiting for him. He goes, guess who got shot? Guess who got shot? And all my dad could think of was, oh, no, this guy shot somebody trespassing on his property. And, and it turned out that uh, yeah, it was President Kenny. Seriously? Kennedy. Yeah. President Kennedy was assassinated. But, yeah, <laughs> based on the experience early that morning, they thought, oh, great, this guy's actually shot and he killed He picked somebody. somebody off as they were coming yeah, back off no the trail. Kidding. <laughs> but, yeah, my dad was a whitetail deer hunter. Uh, he, he liked to fish, though he never fly fished. Uh, my earliest memories are going with him on the Kilchis River. Yeah, we actually lived uh, right near Tillamook, Oregon, where uh, the Tillamook Cheese Factory is. And I remember going with him when he'd fish the Kilchis River, I think for steelhead. I was four, and I, I can still smell that river. It's just strange, but I think I, I kind of fell in love with the river and the idea of fishing. I, I remember him. How big is that river? I don't remember. I'm, I'm guessing it would be similar to the, the Madison or the Yellowstone. Huh. Maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe You know what? Maybe it's not quite that big. Uh, maybe we've got a, uh, a listener in Oregon that could... Uh, enlighten us. Uh, yes, could enlighten us. Now that I think of it, it's probably uh, oh, like some of the smaller rivers in Montana, maybe like the Gallatin. So anyway, that's just a long rambling way of saying, Dave, I don't have a clue. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I do remember him coming back with his dad from Upper Two Medicine Lake in Glacier National Park. Uh, with a limit of brook trout, uh, they were all about a foot long, oh, and uh, caught them on MEPS spinners. Yeah. But uh, you know, my dad was a—he—he he was very trusting. He gave me my first shotgun at age ten. Yeah, that was very that? trusting. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, now it's not like I kept the shotgun and the and the shotgun shells in my bedroom, but I, I had this—I I kept the gun there. You know, he—he he kept the ammo, but I had an Ithaca single shot twenty gauge and uh, uh, learned to do that. You know, we bow hunted, rifle hunted for elk in Montana when we both lived there. And, and, and he actually gave one young outfitter his start, a ranch kid that was really a good outdoorsman. But uh, my dad kind of mentored him, and, and then this guy took off, and he's, he's an outfitter to this day. But, you know, my dad died of cancer at age 62, yeah, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I miss him. I, I thought a lot about him. Uh, this week when I was actually working on the written piece for our two guys website and I just happened to glance at this uh, photo of my dad and me uh, standing behind the first bull elk I shot it was uh, never forget that it was Halloween late afternoon in 1988 and I just you know it doesn't happen as often anymore but I kind of looked at that picture and thought oh dad I'd love to have a conversation with yeah, you right just now just another but, day hunting with you yeah man. So anyway, that's a little bit about your dad and my dad. Dave, what would you say was our father's single biggest contribution or, or contributions to us uh, regarding the outdoors? My dad was very clear to us about regulations and staying within regulations. Mm -hmm. And and so there was there is not a lot of fudging on, you know, 10 fish versus if the limit was eight, you took right. eight. Right, yep. 
We've done a ton of walleye, northern pike, crappie, bass, fishing in North Dakota. It's still, to this day, some of the best fishing. I mean, it's amazing. I'll go back. If I go back in June, uh, between now and, let's say, July 1st, I mean, you go out every day and limit out on northern pike wow you can go out on the you know lake sacagawea and mm-hmm. walleye it's just it's really an amazing place but yeah. again my dad never fly fished uh-huh. however he embedded in me the importance of not really rule keeping but just it's it's really a form of conservation yeah right it is. it's like uh-huh. okay those 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 rules are there right um to help protect fish to help uh protect uh the environment to help uh, increase fishing opportunities yeah. and hunting opportunities for others. Let me tell you a funny story. So this was in 1996, and my, it was with my brother and me. So my brother Matt, my younger brother Matt, it was his father-in-law. My brother had just gotten married. His father-in-law is a doctor. And my father, there was four of us. And we had hunted with a bunch of guys in North Dakota in the morning, we got up at, we must have gone up at five or six, but we shot our limit of geese. We had snow geese. We had, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many geese we had. Wow. So about 10 o'clock, we said, in the morning, we said, you know, we shot a lot of geese. Why don't we just drive down to South Dakota to where our farm is, <laughs> which is a, about 100 miles away. Let's hunt pheasant. <laughs> wow. So we called the guy up who um, who rent, who is renting our land said, hey, can we come and hunt this afternoon on our land? He goes, yeah, yeah, come down. So we came down. So we hunted, and I think we limited out in pheasant. So between the geese and the pheasant, we must have had wow. 30, 35 birds to clean. Oh, now, the wow. pheasants went quick, of course. It was the geese that was hard to clean because we yeah. were you know, plucking them at this yeah. point. Oh, I my. think at one point we decided, forget it. We're just going to debreast them and, and, and move on. Yeah. However, so it's 1 a.m. We've been up since 6 a.m. the previous day. We're tired. We're at my grandmother's house. We're exhausted. And the four of us are standing around, and we're trying to finish up cleaning up these birds. And Steve, my brother's father-in-law, who has this wry sense of humor, goes, Hey, Dave, what's the difference between a vulture and your mother-in-law? At least a vulture waits until you're dead before it chews your ass. (laughs) (laughs) What'd your dad do? And my dad, who is... My dad never swears he's very it, it's and nobody swears around him because it's a big yes. deal to him mm-hmm. so we are so exhausted and my brother and i burst out laughing and i see my dad he's over i can still see him he's in front of the sink and his his whole body is shaking his face is red he's trying not to laugh but he cannot help it it was like the funniest joke i mean you had to be there but it was one of those great memories i can imagine your dad's a great guy it was so fun to see him last year i I could just imagine doing that oh so that was a that was a great story we've had so many great stories through the years um on hunting i I mean there's so many funny stories yeah but um his single biggest contribution to my life was just the respect for conservation and the rules and to obey them if you want to participate in hunting you know i think with my dad a couple things that stand out one is uh, my dad really taught me to not to go halfway you know give it a full pursuit I mean, for example, we, we didn't road hunt. In Montana, where we lived, there were a lot of road hunters that would just drive, you know, along the edge of a field, or they'd drive up on a logging road in a ridge, and sometimes they would see an elk and jump out and shoot it, which is... Is that drove, legal? It drove us crazy. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you're, uh, if you're not on a county road, 
Um, I mean, you, you have to get off you know, so many feet. But if you're up on a logging road or, or some of these guys, they would just do this in the ranch. Yeah, they'd, they'd throw the dog in the, the truck and they'd go look for deer or something. But no, we, we did not road hunt. And, and we, we would always hike in further. I mean, we, we shot elk in the Absorky Beartooth Wilderness Area. You know, not just the national forest. We would hike into the wilderness area, and I think to this day that's why I walk a mile further to fish. I, I just learned if you want to get away from the, the the crowds and get into where you're going to have success, you have to walk a little bit. I think related to that, I, I really learned the value of research, uh, both into equipments, into spots to hunt and fish. I mean, my you remember my dad? Yeah, he was the ultimate researcher and. And he would, uh, ah, he did a lot of research into different calibers that we might use, and he was into hand loading. So, uh, he, you know, he convinced me to get a. I, I was, you know, hunting with a thirty aught six, but I actually started using a seven mm Express two eighty Remington, and you know, he had a hand load for that. That kind of for, for those listeners who hunt, you'll appreciate this. It kind of had the punch of an aught six, but it had the flat shooting of a of a two seventy, and and it was the same thing with spots to to hunt. I mean, he would research, he would go ask, he would, you know, he'd pick people's brains, and and I realized, even though he didn't teach me to fly fish, and even though that the fishing that we did was maybe a a twentieth of the hunting we did, I, I've really brought that research. Uh, you know, give it a full pursuit, kind of into my fly fishing. It certainly benefited us, benefited us for our trips and on our trips uh, to Montana. When I yeah. think about some of our best trips are have been the trips you've planned. That has has been a, that's actually a wonderful gift. Yeah, well, my so, dad's to thank for that. I you guess. know what? And I, I should just pause here a second. I, I would say this is true of both your father and my father. My father is still alive. I saw yeah. him four days ago. Yep. Uh, at uh, my niece's graduation. He's in his 80s. He's 83 now. He's moving a lot slower, though I still think at 83 he has more energy than I do. Oh, man. He was an original and is an original. Yes, he was. Yes, he is. People don't like, aren't like that anymore. I think of your dad like that, too. I remember one of my last, well, it was my last memory other than the funeral. Uh, I drove down to Lakin because I was on my way to mm-hmm. Peoria. I think I was there to yeah. to um, to talk to the university down there about some of our services. Oh yeah, down to Bradley. Yeah, yeah down to Bradley mm-hmm. about our marketing services and the enrollment marketing side. And I stopped at his house and I saw him laying on the couch and he looked so pale, and yet he was up for me. He wanted to see me. He wanted to <laughs> talk to me. Your mom was there yeah. and. And, and you've said this through the years, but one of the things that sticks in my mind so much about your dad was even while he was dying, yeah, he would always say, you know, if you're going to say God is good, you have to say God is good all the time. Yeah. Or yeah, something like that. That's true. Yep. And even in the end, in which, you know, he died 20 years, 25 years too young. Yeah. Yep. He lived that and modeled yeah, that. He and did. I tell you what, I sure hope I can do yeah, that. Boy, I, I do too. I do too. Yeah. And the last words I heard him say was he says, Well, just remember, no matter what happens to me, God is still good. And he yeah, he he lived that out and I mean, even till the day, like a week before he died, and you know, when his when he was still conscious, he was you know, he was asking my brother about something, some 
I think some cultural trend, and he was trying to think through this, and and that's how he was with hunting and fishing. He's like a continual learner up until the very end. Exactly, he he really was, and he was, uh, yeah, he was always kind of ahead of the curve. You know, it was that way with computers, and I think, man, if he was alive now, I would be calling him and saying, hey, what what does this smartphone do? You know, and he he would have it all figured out. Well, hey, let's. He uh, was an early adopter. Yeah, you know, he was. Technology. He was, and I'm not as early as he is. I've realized that, but he was an early adopter. So, just to switch gears a little bit, Dave, as we think about our role as as dads, we each have kids. Uh, What have we done differently with our kids when it comes to teaching them outdoor sports, or, or have we? I was thinking about this in relation to both fishing and hunting. I got my kids out early with hunting. Mm -hmm. Every fall, even though I'm living in the Chicago suburbs, I travel in North Dakota, spend anywhere from four days to a week hunting, hunting upland game, Mm -hmm. hunting uh, pheasants, grouse, partridge, Mm -hmm. um, as well as geese. And I I took Christian from the time he was four years old. I'm serious. He was in the car Mm -hmm. seat, and we drove... 14, 15 hours, one way to <laughs> yeah. get to, to North Dakota. Wow. Grandma would take care of him. And through the years, mm-hmm. he'd then start to go with the guys. He'd stay in the truck. He'd stay with the dogs or whatever. And then he started to hunt. And then, of course, you know, with football, that stopped. Because yeah. at some point in high school, they, they'd look on it. Yep. If you don't make the game and don't make oh, practice for five days, you know, you bench. Yes. You get Sli- benched. Slightly less commitment than if you play in the NFL. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> so, um, so, so Christian actually hasn't hunted since then. He's, yeah. I did the same with Corey. Hmm. And I took Kira, my daughter, fishing in North Dakota. Uh, my big concern is that I didn't, I didn't get Corey into fly fishing, and I think technically Corey would have really loved it. With football and wrestling and all the sports, and I was also in a really busy season of my life, and I think I missed the window to get him into fly fishing. He's I've taken him fly fishing, but he just doesn't have the passion for it. And so if I would do anything differently, I would probably slow down. I don't think Christian was wired to do it. He loves to fish, but not fly fish. I wish I had focused more time and more and been a little bit more yeah. patient and gotten Corey into fly fishing. Sure. And and Kira just it wasn't that much of an interest. She's in college now. But mm-hmm. my youngest Jalen, I'm so committed to get her yeah. into fly fishing. Yeah, that's that's good. <laughs> so if I had it to do over again, I would probably I would probably slow down and figure out a way to get Corey into fly fishing. Yeah. I think for me I may not do anything differently than my dad did. I, I know I was intentional to get my kids into the outdoors and give them experiences. You know, both my sons fly fish and my daughters have shown some interest. Even now they're uh, both in their early 30s and, and married. And uh, But my three oldest kids got started catching brookies. We'd camp on the west side of McDonald Pass, just west of Helena, and and I'd, I'd take them down there, you know, we'd, we'd have a, you know, they'd have a little rod rigged up with a worm and a bobber. And, and sometimes, you know, if they weren't catching anything, I would get a fish on and then I would hand it to them and pretend. I said, well, hang on to this. You might catch something. Then I'd wait a second or two and say, hey, I think you got one. You know, I'm not <laughs> telling them I, I caught that. I, I think for me, though, I would probably, uh, uh, I'd probably work more on technical skills uh, I think of I think especially with my sons, it's probably something I didn't do as well. I thought, well, they'll they'll learn this on the fly, no pun intended. But, you know, they'll they'll catch on to this when we're out on the river, and there's certain there's truth to that. But 
I, I think I would have helped them if, uh, if I worked with them on, on their casting just out in the yard, uh, tying knots. Uh, you know, I, I know even my, my son, Luke, when he was in college, he, uh, he'd say, man, I can't remember how you tied that one knot. And so I'd say, well, just Google that. And you'll find some good videos. It's pretty easy now. But, uh, uh, yeah, that, that might be the one thing I, I do differently. And, and it's always a reminder we, we never parent perfectly uh, overall and, and even when it comes to uh, outdoor sports. Hey, let's, uh, let's change it up again. What, what are some funny memories or stories that maybe you have about your dad? You told a great one already, but... Uh, what about you? You tell me well, okay. the first one. Okay, so uh, both of these have to do with Yellowstone National Park. I remember in the late 60s, some of my first memories, I mean, I was like six or seven years old, and we camped in Yellowstone, and, and my dad was a real detail person, and you know, it would never break the law, but somehow he did not get the memo that, that you don't shoot bottle rockets in, in the national park. So one night we're sitting by our fire and it's dark and my dad, we had some extra bottle rockets. And so he's shooting those things off and, you know, and then we're done and then we're sitting by the fire. And about five minutes later, these rangers were walking through the trees with their flashlights. And, my dad like oh no <laughs> so did they confront him no no they just walked through it's like because i don't know that they knew what had happened but like they were nobody was about to admit yeah, it <laughs> that, that's right just hopefully they don't come over here the other thing there's a campground just north of west yellowstone it's in the national forest it's called uh, baker's hole and the madison river runs right through it but uh, what my dad didn't realize is that if there's part of that river, it, I mean, you, you walk a few feet and you're, you're in the national park. The, the campground borders the park. So one day my dad came back. I think my brothers and I were out fly fishing and he was using a spinner. That's what he did. And, and it's fine to do that in the national forest outside the park. Well, he came back with three really gorgeous browns. <laughs> and we said to him, where, so where did you catch those? He told me, he said, you realize that's in the National Park. You better put those things in the freezer. So, yeah, it was funny because that's something my dad never would have done. I have so many memories uh, of my father and my father's cronies. Because it wasn't just Matt and me that fished with them through yeah. the years. It was Matt and me and then my dad's cronies. A lot of them were older. So we'd fish with these guys who were 75, 80, 85 and my dad was probably at that point 10, 15, 20 years younger than some of them. But I remember one was my my brother Matt had just, I think he had just started goose hunting. He I don't think he was 16 yet, mm -hmm. but he was probably 15. So we were out goose hunting, and we fished this place called Long Lake. And there would be hundreds of thousands of geese out there during the prime time. Mm -hmm. And, the, and you get out there really early, and we're kind of lazy hunters. You stand behind these big hay, ba hay bales, and mm -hmm. you drink coffee. And, <laughs> and what you do is you wait until the yeah. first flock gets off the, off the water. Okay. And once the first flock gets, gets off, uh -huh. often the rest will follow. Okay. So if they get off the east side of the lake, you better get over there. And okay. even if they're already getting off, get over there if you can, over if you can there. make it over there. Okay. Because they'll st they just follow each other okay. out. And so we huh. would... Um, sit behind a hay bale or in the fence line. We shot so many geese, but this is my brother's first time out or one of his first times out. Times out. So he was hunting with a guy named Walter Wolt, and Walter's gone now. We hunt with his cousin still, Clayton, or his actually his nephew. Mm -hmm. 
So Walter was this like 6'4 German farmer who loved to hunt and just was man of few words and very straight-laced and you never know if never knew if he was really angry with you. <laughs> um, but he was the he, but he was really warm. Later as we got to know him we realized man Walter's one of the warmest guys, right? So that morning the geese start coming off and Matt is sitting about a half a mile away from the rest of us and he's sitting in this fence line and what looks like to be a flock of geese gets up and they're big and they start flying over and right before they start to they went over Matt and they were low yeah Walter goes no no sure enough here comes the you can see the barrel come up Matt boom 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 and drops one of them into the refuge uh oh into the refuge uh oh so it's okay if you dropped one into the refuge, okay. that's okay. Yeah. As long as you're not in the refuge while you're shooting the geese. Okay. And you can actually leave your gun on the side and go in and get it. Okay. Right? So next thing you know, Matt's walking out of the refuge and is holding oh, this, no. not a goose, but a swan. Oh, no. <laughs> well, if he had gotten picked up. Oh, man. And so you hear Walter running, no, drop the swan, drop the swan. And, you know, Matt just, it didn't register with yeah, him. So yeah. he proudly walked up to Walter, and Walter read him the riot act. Oh, so he had oh, shot oh, this oh. trumpeter swan. Oh, man. Oh, man. So it's one of those memories. And yeah. so we're all, later, we're all laughing about it, right? Like two wow. or three years later. But in that morning, nobody laughed, right? Oh, because man. the game wardens sit on the hills around there, oh, and they no. scope out. So they know, they oh, know exactly word. what's going on. It oh just happened word. he got lucky that morning and no one and no one no game oh, got. Oh man, him. unbelievable. <laughs> wow. There are probably some of our listeners who may have not had a great father experience or maybe their father didn't contribute to their lives in the way of the outdoors and you know what would it was just not there. What would yeah, you say right. to that? That's that's hard. That's hard. No a lot of people in that situation I think it's just a reminder, no human father is perfect, you know, only our heavenly father is. And so you have to learn to appreciate what your earthly father contributed, even if it wasn't much. And and I think the other thing is to learn to appreciate others who've helped you on the journey. You know, if you're fly fishing, chances are somebody helped you get started. Yeah, I, sure. I don't know of any... Uh, many self-made fly fishers. So somebody helped you, even if it wasn't your dad. And and third, I guess you you do have a chance to provide a legacy to your kids or grandkids and and other folks you mentor. And sometimes it's just breaking in and saying, "Hey, I, I didn't have it good, but you know, I'm going to be the father that, that I didn't have." And uh, you know, rather than letting that ruin you or define you, just say, "Hey, I'm I'm going to." You know, it, it is what it what it is, and I'm but I'm gonna I'm gonna make a change. I'm gonna invest in that next generation, and I yeah. I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, that's really good. Well, hey, before we wrap it up, we'd love to recommend the ideal Father's Day gift for your dad. We have the ideal gift this year, <laughs> right, Dave? <laughs> we have kind of the ideal gift for every occasion, yes, and it's the same gift. That's right, the <laughs> gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Yes. Well, it's our book, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. Life is short. You don't say. Catch more fish. (laughs) And you can buy it on Amazon. And this commercial is brought to you by... (laughs) Oh, my. No, seriously, it is. uh, It's a fun book. And uh, that's one of the reasons we wrote it. We thought this would be a... 
this would be fun to give to, to friends, to, uh, to dads. And so, uh, uh, yeah, pick up a copy. Well, hey, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Uh, one of our new listeners recently commented on our sixth podcast in season one. That's kind of cool. Ooh, that's a so, while ago. I know. It's been almost two years ago. Uh, we interviewed Gary Borger about the making of A River Runs Through It. And uh, what this guy shared is a good way to end an episode on fly fishing on Father's Day. David said, One of my favorite parts of that movie is when the dad and sons are up on the bank sharing their success. Both sons show off their fish only to be outdone by their dad. Another, when the boys are confronted by the dad after destroying the boat they borrowed to go over the falls. Boys, what have you done? (laughs) Well, I really love it that their dad was out fishing them. (laughs) I know, I know. Isn't that great? That is a great quote. Well, hey, that's going to do it for today. Uh, What kind of an impact did your dad make on your life, whether it relates to fly fishing, other outdoor sports, or just life in general? Please go to twoguysinariver.com and comment on this podcast link. Tell us a story about how your dad taught you to fly fish or enjoy the great outdoors. You can find Two Guys in a River pretty much everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, Stitcher, and of course you can visit our website, Two Guys in a River. We publish one new episode and a new article each week. We have just tons of great content on the site, and we hope you visit it and dig into the content. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. (laughs) 